Hello, and welcome to part two of Tough Guys. Part one has been very well received by all. Thank you so much for getting in touch with us on Twitter and telling us how much you enjoyed it. It's uh, been uh, real fun to interact with everyone and see that you're enjoying what we're doing. Part two is upcoming and there is some great stories in this one. We find out what happened when Franny fought Ed Courtney and how Franny starts bench clearances with the Coventry Blaze once again. Uh, amongst many other things, there's some quickfire questions on Twitter as well. Coming up for you in the next episode, the poll is over and the 14-15 season has won. So we're going to learn how you build a Challenge Cup winning team in just six weeks when Franny takes us behind the scenes of Todd and Steve and all of the new owners coming in back then, how they chose Lordo as coach, all that fun stuff we'll have for you right here next week. But for now, sit back and relax. It's part two of Tough Guys. We'll see you in episode three next week. Just before we go to, I guess, the third pillar of, of Tough Guys in Bradford, just a couple of... Uh, guys I, I want to mention um, firstly we talk about toughness a, a lot in terms of fighting um, but a guy who I thought had a lot of intensity and, and for me always appeared to be absolutely solid as a rock was Ivan Matulik yeah. um, would Ivan be someone you would steer clear of when uh, those gloves came off yeah, he wasn't sort of known for fighting because he, he was that good that he didn't sort of mm -hmm. get involved in that. But you just got to look at the physique on the guy to know that if you were getting a clip off him, yeah. it was going to hurt. <laughs> and I, I do remember it happened that there was, we talked before about, you know, being in a face cage and running mm -hmm. around and uh, uh, there's a couple of face cages that were chasing after him, following, the, following through on the hits on him. And he lost his rag and he just ripped the cage off <laughs> and just beat the wheels off whoever it was. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely had that within him, because of how big, he, big and strong he was, there was no technique whatsoever no. in his fight. It was just literally throw as quick as you can, as hard as you can. Um, so, you know, I don't think he was an accomplished fighter, but still, you wouldn't want to clip off him. He was, he was a ton, like Franny said. His, his physique was unbelievable. I always thought of him as a, as a body checker. If you, if you got hit by Majulik, you, you stayed hit. I remember, you know, guys would just, they'd go off almost uh, broken in two when you've been checked by Majulik and, a guy, you know, someone sort of similar to that, but I think was a good fighter and, and someone I was thinking about earlier, uh, I put Ian McIntyre yeah. as a real tough just, guy. Just, yeah. beat, just beat me too. That era, yeah. uh, Ian McIntyre, I remember when he first came in, he didn't do that much in his first few no. games. I think he had probably come from a limited role back yeah. across uh, in North America, so he wasn't used to getting the minutes. No. So he, you know, when you're in that role where you're only going out for you know, two, three minutes a period... Um, and then all of a sudden you're playing on a third line and three line yeah. hockey. Um, he, I don't think he got the energy to play the way that you no. know he, he would want to. But when he got his legs, um, wow! You know what? What a powerful. Oh, what a powerful. You know, a great player. Yeah. Great body checker and one of the most exciting fighters yes. I think as well because he was so quick. Was quick. Yeah. yeah. Just lightning quick. You know, deadly accuracy yeah. and you know pretty devastating when he went. Absolutely. Another guy I'd like to touch on, he wasn't here for very long, um, but someone who didn't drop the gloves, who I think everyone would have loved to have seen, Paul Bissonnette. 
uh, 13 games, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had Biz for, um, of course, now doing a, uh, a very successful podcast of his own. Um, but he done pretty much everything other than drop the gloves. You can't blame him. The guy was on a NHL contract. Yeah, coming but but even saying that, I don't think it was through him choosing not to. I think a lot of the lockout guys played within themselves when they were here because they were paranoid about getting an injury. You know, their contracts were null and void mm-hmm. while they were playing outside the lockout. So they needed to go back healthy. I mean, I think they all had insurances against loss of earnings because they were hoping the lockout would finish and they'd get back on their on their NHL contracts. Um, but, I mean, there's two guys, and we'll talk about the other one as well, two guys that, you know, I think it is probably, when you talk about f- fighters and the biggest disappointments in not seeing them go, were Paul Bissonnette and Craig Weller. Because yeah. um, we never saw Wellesy go. No. But, you know, again... Um, Wellesy, you know, there was times where he would step up and whatever, and then people would would steer clear. And um, jumping back to Bissonette, up until the point that Bissonette came in, um, Belfast had bullied us badly in our own ring. Mm-hmm. You know, you had that third line of Lloyd and Keith. Mm-hmm. I mean, Garside's in the middle, who yeah. you know facilitated it perfectly, yeah. didn't he? You know, very smart player, um, but not, you know, not a very big guy. But they just had those two going in. For checking hard, making dirty hits, you know, they were late hits, they were just jumping off their feet, doing whatever they liked, and they were coming into our building and they were winning games. You yeah. know, I think I think I even worked out the stats at the time to try and get a spark into our guys in terms of how many points Lloyds and Keefe had against the Devils in Cardiff versus their total league output yeah. for the year. And it was, I don't know, it was like half their points were in our building. It was something ridiculous like that. Um, but I do remember in the Odyssey... Um, I'm stuck in the time zone, the SSE, yeah. <laughs> um, where Biss was playing for us and Lloyd had done something and, you know, Biss had chased him round the ice and tried to get a reaction and fair play to Keith doing what he always mm-hmm. did for Lloyd, you know, he stepped in to stop the momentum of that, but there was no chance that he wanted to get into a fight with Biz. you know, Keith was, uh, you know, when you talk, we'll probably talk about people on other teams mm-hmm. and, you know, enforcer roles, you know, probably one of the best at playing mm-hmm. that kind of enforcer role um, but you know Biss would have happily gone at that point but th- there was just no takers no. for him um, and then you know jump up back onto Craig Weller same thing I mean he came in obviously we're on that world record mm-hmm. streak that we talked about in the last podcast uh, so there wasn't as much need for fighting um, but you know he was making big hits and yeah. normally big hits like that would get a reaction and not one person stepped up you know um, because they obviously know what he could do and they'd seen the YouTube videos yeah. of him knocking two or three people out extremely tough guy um, you know both of them and well they're extremely tough guys and you know certainly one of my biggest disappointments is we never got to see those two guys uh, go live someone we did get to see go very very regularly was Brad Voth over his uh, time as a Cardiff Devil mm. possibly the most unpredictable of all the tough guys um, that we've had in Cardiff, someone who loved the badge. Um, John, I'll come to you. Brad Voth as a tough guy in terms of wins, mm-hmm. probably isn't mm-hmm. on top of the list, win percentage-wise. Um, but as someone who fought for the badge, mm-hmm. got to be right up there. Absolutely, I think that's you know one of the big reasons his shirt is retired. And and again, I I think 
Brad is great, and but when the announcement <coughs> of, of the shirt being retired was made, I wasn't sure about it. And then I think it was Gareth Hubbard who made a point to me and said, "Well, in in very dark days, he was again box office for for, for the Devils and and probably kept the Devils known in the local area." And I, I think about Brad Voth. I thought Brad Voth was an excellent hockey player uh, and as a power forward um, and as someone who would take on any battle. You, you couldn't fault him. Um, you know, he could score 40, 50 points a season. He led the team. He would take on all comers. Um, Franny can correct me on this if I'm wrong, because, you know, obviously I've never fought on ice. I don't think Brad Voth was a great technical fighter. You know, I look at somebody like a, a Dion Darling uh, as a guy who, who mm-hmm. had fantastic technical ability when he, wanted to, when he wanted to fight. I think Brad was somebody who, you know, tried to use his size and try and get close, but I didn't think Brad was ever a great technical fighter. But as a tough guy with with heart and, and to take on anything and and just to to put the devils on his back, yeah, you know, you 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 can't look past Brad Voth. Yeah, I'll maybe got a different view in terms of him as a technical fighter. I think he was very technical in in the way that he fought. Uh, it just maybe wasn't that open style that you'd get from a Mike Ware or Mike McWilliam. Okay. Um, I know that Voth had been tagged with a few bad ones back mm-hmm. in North America just before he came over. So his days of fighting open because, you know, like we said on the, the Mike Ware, um, you know, the Mike Ware sort of uh, section, yeah. section, you're only one punch away from mm-hmm. getting knocked out. So what Sir Botha did, he was an extremely strong guy, he mm-hmm. had big long arms, he would wrap you up so you are not hitting him, mm-hmm. and then he would kind of wear you down, there was a lot of wrestling, and then come the end of the fight, then he'd get his arm free, and then mm-hmm. he would, you know, he'd take over and win. Okay. You know the majority of his fights, but um, when he first came over, I, I was talking with Phil Hill about this the other day. We were a little bit unsure about what we'd sign because he was like quite skinny, quite mm-hmm. lanky, um, and his skating style was pretty awful. And then, <laughs> I remember the first practice he was going out, we're like, "This is our tough guy." <laughs> and we're like, "Ooh, okay, this yeah. could be interesting." And I remember um, doing a drill, and it was power power, power play against penalty kill. And they had us on the penalty kill, and you can tell what a sort of drone I was in practice. I was put on D on the penalty kill just to give the power play guys a bit of a chance, right. you know. <laughs> uh, and Voth had parked himself in front of the net, and I was trying to move him out of the way like I'd seen defensemen do, and I think that's what he meant to do. Um, and I couldn't move him, you know, and he just kind of anchored himself, mm-hmm. and you know, and then you saw in games that he would do that and be really effective at, at it. But as the years went on, he sort of grew into his frame. Um, and you know, develop more size, and uh, he was. I think I, I would argue that he was the most intimidating player to play for the Devils. Mm. As tough as Ware was, mm-hmm. as tough as Mike McWilliam was, um, I think Voffa had the most intimidation um, for the era that he was in, and a lot of that was down to the hits that he would make. Yeah. He could skate so well for a big guy. Yeah. He's got two hundred. 30 to 260 pounds behind him, depending on what season it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, if he, when he hit someone, well, we've all seen yeah. the amount of times people didn't get back <laughs> no. up or people didn't play again for, for many weeks. Um, and I remember there was one year towards the end of Otter's career, it wasn't the, the last year, but it was a couple of years before that he was thinking about calling time on it, mm-hmm. probably with all the suspensions yeah. he was getting, because there's no doubt he was targeted. Mm-hmm. You know, he was given suspensions, you know, at the, the the slashing on Rod Sarich, yeah. I think, when he was just giving him a tap to say we're going, mm. and you know he ends up with six games of that and five yeah. games of fighting. You know, the, I think you know he'd been just kind of disillusioned mm-hmm. with it all. 
and he was thinking of calling time on it and I was chatting to my good friend Paul Sample and said I don't think Motha's going to come back mm. this year and he just went Franny whatever you've got to do to get him back mm. get him back he feels because I've been in multiple away dressing rooms yeah. against your team and that is all everybody talks about before the <laughs> game everybody is saying guys keep your head up that Vath he'll hit you even when you haven't got the puck yeah. whatever you know and it was in people's minds um, before they'd even stepped into our ring that you know Vatha was out there and he was going to injure you yeah. um, and you know that is a massive contributor on why we had such a fantastic home, home record in the Brad Vatha era and he was the, I would say the the single most reason on why we punched above our weight during all that time when we were on a much lower budget than you know the guys at the top of the league. Just to add to, I, it kind of sounds like a, a criticism of him as a tough guy, and it's not. What, what, I preferred Brad Voth on the ice. He had a hell of a release on his shot. Um, you know, he was a big guy who could uh, obviously go to the net and, and cause havoc. So Brad Voth was 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 tough. Um, but I always preferred Brad Voth on on the ice. Um, the, the one fight I do really remember, it's perhaps the one time he did go open and, and didn't um, um, you know, really care what happened, was the game where it was the first game after he didn't have the captaincy anymore, and I think it was against Hull, and I think Matt Miller was lining up, uh, going to fight somebody, and, and Brad Roth came and gave him a tap and just said, no, I'm, I'm going here. Stephen Burns. Stephen Burns, poor Stephen Burns. I remember there was feeling a lot sorry. of frustration that I came out in that fight. Yeah, I wanted to give the guy a hug after, <laughs> I felt that bad for him. But. It was one of the first games I ever commentated on. Um, it was just uh, just as I'd started doing it for the DVDs, yeah. and I couldn't read my luck in a way. <laughs> I'd been gifted this fight, and um, funny enough, um, Vic Silverwood, who uh, has done a lot with the Ice mm-hmm. Guardians, and as uh, well, is one is the only person who's written sort of mm-hmm. PhDs on the subject of tough guys in hockey. So go and follow her on Twitter because yeah. it is a follow you will not regret. Um, she plays that Roth Burns clip quite a lot in uh, in some talks she done. She told me as a uh, and a highlight of uh, how excited I got. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible <laughs> it was. And uh, also, it's kind of, you know, how brutal uh, it was, too. We will do a Brad Voth episode, I promise everyone, <laughs> at some point. If he was fighting Hull, it was just nice to fight somebody on the ice, I guess, as opposed to uh, behind the bench. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know if we want to go into this, um, because, you know, if we do a Brad Voth episode... Go for it. Um, one thing that... Votha wasn't great at doing was he didn't have that switch that a McWilliam or a Ware had where they could go out at any moment flick the switch and then they would turn into Mm -hmm. the animal he didn't have that he needed to be mad Mm -hmm. and normally him being mad is because something had done something to his teammates you know very team orientated Um, he was never any good at going off the bat and where he struggled a couple of times was when there was new tough guys to the league who Mm -hmm. honestly wanted to make their mark uh, the first one I'm thinking of is Jeremy Cornish. Yeah. You know, first shift against uh, London yeah. in Lee Valley. You know, Cornish is there and he's tapping him and Botha takes the fight and he doesn't do very well. No. You know, and Cornish, and we're like, oh, wow, you know, this mm. Cornish guy is, is tough. But then, you know, in later fights, yeah. when it happens in game, all over him. And, you know, the, the biggest one I can remember is Sean McMorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so McMorrow would come in and, you know, uh, some I know GM trying to make his name in Belfast called, <laughs> called him the sheriff and you know got him a sheriff's badge for his hat and he had, I remember in the hotel there was the local paper yeah. and you look on the back page and there's like you know this big article about sheriff yeah. to, um, calls out Vath and you know there's a whole thing 
I remember we went for our pre-game walk around town and next thing you hear the beeping in this tiny little car um, <laughs> sitting in the big frame of Sean McMorrow and he's yelling out the window, tell Bath I'm coming for him, tell Bath I'm coming for him. <laughs> um, so it, it got to game time and everybody would be talking about, you know, all, mm-hmm. I, all the players are like, do you think Bath and McMorrow are going to go? When do you think they're going to go? How's it going to go? And it was a massive distraction and G and I felt that, you know, it was taking the focus away mm-hmm. from the game. And uh, for the only time in our coaching duo, we actually had a word with Botha and we just said, can you get it out of the way early on so we can get on with the game? Because, you know, this is distracting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could see in his, in his face that he didn't really want to go straight away because yeah. he's, he's like, I'm better when I'm like yeah. mad or whatever. And we're like, yeah, but, you know, this is distracting. So we almost forced him into it, which mm-hmm. was a massive mistake because he goes out there Fair play to him, he takes the fight. Yeah. McMorrow catches him with the first punch, mm-hmm. cuts him and puts him down. And it was it couldn't have played out better for yeah. for McMorrow. And it was straight away, I just thought, what a mistake we've made. We should have just yeah. let Rother do what he's done a hundred times before and deal with it in his yeah. own way. And that would probably be wait for McMorrow to make a dirty hit and then step in with, you know, the kind of anger inside him and yeah. do a better job. Um, and then there was, I think the next time they fought, it happened in play, mm. and it was a very honourable draw mm-hmm. where you couldn't really split up. And McMorrow was celebrating and doing yeah. his, you know, that twirl of his helmet and all that kind of thing. And I was thinking, you didn't win that fight, you mm. know, that that was a draw at best. And then the final time there yeah. was in Cardiff, um, McMorrow goes out for um, for one of the first shifts of the mm. game and starts running round. And I think it was on the line change; they bump into each other. And McMorrow's jumping, you know, he's yeah. chomping a bit to get this fight, and Botha goes with him, and you know he beats him. What I remember about that fight and different to other, and you talk about the, the technique that Brad, that was fight he got a few away quickly, and I think don't yeah. think he caught McMorrow with two or three very quickly. And I don't yeah. think McMorrow expected that. No, he knew what yeah. was coming. Yeah. Speaking of McMorrow, this is to spark my memory. There was a fight between G, Jared Adams, yeah. and McMorrow, and McMorrow thought the fight was over, and he tapped. G as if to say, well yeah. done. And G threw a left and popped <laughs> him right on the jaw. And I, I just, I can remember in the stands, McMorrow looked at him as if to go, boy, that, that hurt. Like, <laughs> that was a real tough one. We've talked, we've talked about before how G was really tough. Oh. And, you know, and what a team player. And, you know, he'd be one of the first on your team list as a player, you know, let alone as yeah. a coach. Um, but... I feel I contributed to that some way because <laughs> after the first fight in Belfast mm. with McMorrow where he'd, um, you know, he tagged mm. Botha with that one and he was getting way too big for his boots and, you know, all the sheriff hats were coming out and stuff like that. Um, I deliberately wrote a programme article <laughs> knowing that McMorrow would be nerdy enough to read it and it was basically saying how nobody on our team should fight him because he's a terrible trade-off for everybody. Yeah. He can't play hockey. Watch him in warm-up. He can't even take a shot. Um, and it was yeah. And, and I say you know to give a balanced view. Yeah. You got Jeff Swears on the same team, yeah. who's a genuine point of game power yeah. forward like Brad Voth is. Now I would take Swears yeah. any day of the week. Not a chance I'd touch McMorrow. So of course he you know he had read that and you know he was kind of coming mm-hmm. for me um, because I think it was actually the game before that he was skating around in our end yeah. in warm-up. He was doing full laps yeah. of the ice because he thought no one's going to touch me. I'm yeah. just, you know, beating a tough guy. So the next game, I wrote that article yeah. just to try and get a bit of a response. So I was almost trying to get him focused on me mm-hmm. as opposed to focus on skating in our yeah. end and intimidating players and stuff. Um, so 
I saw him looking at me a couple of times, so I made sure I eyeballed him, and yeah. he came up to me, and uh, he handed me a bit of paper, and he's like, it said on it something like, www.eliteprospects forward slash Sean McMorrow, look it up, I played in the NHL. Because <laughs> he, he played one NHL game. So I started just giving it to him about, listen, charity games don't count, and look, go, go and take a shot for me down there, I bet you can't hit the net. You know, and I was just giving it to him, and probably getting into his skin. And of course, he takes a shot, he misses a net, so I'm all over him. And he comes at the bench, and he thinks that I'm going to, like, apologise or run into the dressing room. So I stood there, sort of eyeball to eyeball yeah. them, really, and I remember in the old ring where people were hanging down off the yeah. back, go on, Freddy, you know, and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, this, this is good. This yeah. is getting a distraction away yeah. from my team. And then, you know, a few people come in and they, and they split it up. And I'm yeah. like, right, I'm under his skin. This is good yeah. because he's kind of focused on that. And they start McMorrow, okay? First shift he goes out there and he just plows into G from behind. Knocks him into next week and G's concussed and out the game. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies to G about that because I had wound him up a treat. Uh, I think McMorrow got thrown out the game, yeah. which was a great result. But unfortunately, G was out of the game too with a concussion. So uh, I think the next game when McMorrow was playing, yeah. G stepped up and surprised him. You know, like you say, he tagged him with a couple. Um, he wasn't, wasn't expecting it, and you know, I think McMorrow thought that was going to be a walkover, yeah. but he didn't know Jared Adams was, <laughs> was as tough as he is. Absolutely. Right, we're into the uh, home straight. We've got uh, two more things uh, to do. Uh, a Matt Rushmore tough guys, your top five Cardiff Devils tough guys. John Donovan, go. Oh, okay. Well, I guess um, we, you have to put um, McWilliam and Ware in there. Uh, simply because of, of um, presence and, and toughness and, and, and what they did. Um, this is a difficult one for me because I, I say I'd like for more of the, 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 the middleweights. Um, I tell you, I'd give an honourable mention to, I don't know why they put him on Rushmore, is Reagan Darby, and particularly for that fight in Coventry yeah. in, the, in the Challenge yeah. Cup semi final when we were 3 0 down, or yeah. final when we were 3 0 down. I, I was going to say, it's probably my one of my favourite fights, if not my favourite fight, just because of the situation yeah. and how much he turned it down. Regan Darby, yeah, um, very, very tough guy. I don't think we saw the, the best of it, mm. um, but extremely tough. And that game, with, the final was over, wasn't it? Yeah. And then he steps up against Graham Bielak, he beats him, and then he just totally changed the tide, didn't it? It, it was, was that moment that the Challenge yeah. Cup was won. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just swung it. It really it got did. back in the game, and it carried right through to the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So at the time, Coventry with 3-0 up. Yes. So they good. Regan Derby takes a fight yeah. with Graham Bielak. He throws so many bombs. The... Uh, in case you were in the way in yeah. that, can you remember the Let's All Have a Disco chant I that d- started I, after that? I just remember the whole... It was a sort of a party atmosphere despite being 3-0 well, down. Well, you know, we didn't win trophies in that little period of time and, and being 3-0 down against Coventry who, who didn't have a fantastic team that year but had been dominant for a, a couple of years, you think you're not coming back and, and you know, I'm with Franny and, and certainly from a, a fan's perspective... When, when Derby took that fight and won that fight, and it was a good fight, it was two guys going toe-to-toe and, and throwing a lot of bombs, the whole atmosphere just changed in the away section, and, and we were 3-0 down, but everyone thought, no, we're in this. And because we were chanting so heavily at the fact we'd had a fight, that's when the immortal, with the Cardiff Devils fans, please look at the scoreboard, <laughs> uh, came ringing around yeah. the arena, and uh, yeah. never as an announcer, well... 
maybe <laughs> yeah. certain announcers. But <laughs> and it's certainly a time where an announcer at a hockey rink has said something that they very much regret. Yes. So Rian Darby makes you your top five? I think just for that five, nice because I think it's one of the most... I like it. I, I'd probably put Darby on there, maybe just a standalone for that five. Um, for technique, I'd put Stephen Cooper on there. And I know um, he wasn't an out-and-out tough guy, but for, for a guy who... I remember a fight with Ross Lambert where he looked like a middleweight boxer. Lambert, you know, uh, thought he was going to throw a right, and then Cooper suddenly throws two lefts and, and, and puts him down. So I think technique-wise, um, Stephen Cooper gets on there. Yeah, one of the unusual things about Coop's when he fought is that most hockey fights, you grab on with one and you throw with the other. And he did. He squared off like a boxer, didn't he? Where he would lead with left jabs <laughs> mm-hmm. and then have that big right... Um, and I remember speaking to, to Jim Manning's legend, yeah, Jimmy, uh, absolutely. Devils fan Jim Mannings, who was a you know a Welsh champion himself, and uh, you know he always used to tell me that had Stephen Cooper trained as a boxer, not as an ice hockey player, he would have been confident of a British title as a minimum, yeah. because he had a knockout punch with um, with both lefts and rights, and you know there is a story about. Jim and Stephen doing a bit of sparring mm-hmm. and Jim egging Stephen on, come on, come on, hit me, you know, try and hit me, because Jim was confident in his own ability and Coops was like, you know, a bit yeah. reluctant too on the you know, on the older guy. And so Jim, I think, tagged Stephen with one and Stephen came back with a bomb and sat Jim down and, <laughs> and that was the end of the sparring <laughs> session. Yeah, that was uh, uh, he was a tough guy and I loved his technique. I so who have I got? I've got where McWilliam, Regan Darby, Regan Stephen, Darby Cooper. Stephen Cooper. Yeah, the obvious one would say Voth, but I, I, I like my left field choices. Yeah, I think Clayton, so Clayton, Clayton Norris is a good guy, and and I might go between either Dion Darling or Ian McIntyre. I think just for I enjoyed watching his fights because he was so quick. I probably put Ian McIntyre on there. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Echo all those. Voth would definitely go in my you know in my top, um, just because you know he, he carried that. Uh, that burden for nine years, often on his own, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know that we didn't have any other tough guys with him, and that's a tough role to do when you're yeah. just the only tough guy there. Um, so yeah, Voth uh, would definitely be on there. Um, I'd like to mention Trevor Hendricks too. Yeah, Trevor Hendricks. What, what a massive reason he was behind uh, the resurgence of the Devils in that year one in terms of getting us back our identity, mm-hmm. and when you talk about you know, you know, maybe Hendo's not the toughest guy to play, but in terms of an enforcer, yeah. I think he carried out the job absolutely. absolutely perfectly. Knew when to step up, knew when the team needed a lift, whether it was a big hip check or, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or intimidating people. You know, he used to do it in warm up. He'd line up next to to guys yeah. that he could get. You know, he could get in their minds before a game, and he picked the the fight at the right mm-hmm. time. So you know, Trevor Hendricks for me. Um, gets a, an honourable mention yeah. you know, even if he's not on the yeah. you know, in, in that top five um, who else I mean Dennis Maxwell was as tough as yeah, he can was too you know, not, not a big guy again but you know would take on all the big guys mm-hmm. and technically technically brilliant um, and modern day I mean who are we looking at modern day I mean they, they, we talked about the type of tough guys that uh, what it takes to be a tough guy you know, we've had some extremely tough mm. guys that maybe aren't the best enforcers because they just haven't got that yeah. kind of edge to them. And, you know, I'd put in this category Josh Batch, one, yeah. who's as strong and, and tough as they come. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, he doesn't really, nice. he yeah. doesn't really look for it unless, you know, unless it's, mm-hmm. uh, it has to be done. 
you know, if he had the edge of some of the guys that we've mentioned before, you know, there's no doubt in my mind he, you know, we'd be talking about him on, on that list. Um, also on there, uh, Lee Salters, yes, who was an incredible, incredibly tough guy, but again, probably didn't bring it as much as he could. Mm -hmm. Although an honourable mention to him mm -hmm. when he, uh, you know, he stepped up That's against Cam, Cam Jensen. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, in the Nottingham Arena when we needed a spark. And Fitzgerald, I remember commentating a game against Sheffield where he went with Fitzgerald. Went Fitzgerald, that was, that was to get the boys going. Yeah. Um, and, and Doug Clarkson again is in the same mould where he's heavyweight tough. Yeah. No doubt about it, heavyweight tough. But again, too nice a guy almost that didn't have that edge that would have seen him mm -hmm. taken to that next level. Yeah. Best uppercut for me. Oh. Doug Clarkson's disguised uppercut. Yeah. Popping Egner's helmet oh, off oh. in the in the big blue tent. Fantastic. Oh, I, I, Egner didn't go down. No. I, I really do not know because he didn't see it coming and they're, they're the ones that yeah. uh, really put you down. Um, that leads us very nicely. Sorry guys, not that I'm a rule keeper. I, I limited mine to five for only just named 27. <laughs> I was given on <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Mount Rushmore just expanded. It's like the Oscars, you know, when they yeah. have all the ones that yeah. are yeah. before. Okay. So you brings, brings us nicely on to what, guys? <laughs> okay. He's left it open. We will get it, open. don't worry. Okay. okay. Um, there's a question from uh, Mandy Bates on, uh, on Twitter about Egner and your. The bench brawl. The little bench brawl when you and B and B were stood and B and Briar had his arm round you, I think, at the time when Egner came and... I'll tell you the full story on that. Let's do it. So we had a back-to-back game against Coventry, in Coventry the Saturday night, in Cardiff on the Sunday night. And in there was always feisty games between us and Coventry. And in the one game, I remember... Max was chasing the puck down in the Coventry end, you know, he was trying to get there first. And the D-man, which was, there was two of them really close by. One of them was Stephen Chalmers, mm -hmm. the young Scottish lad, and there was another guy who were close. And Max is going full tilt, and they give Max a shove from behind. He loses his foot in, and he goes heavy into the boards. Mm -hmm. And Max is really hurt, and I think that ended up causing the neck injury where he ended up mm -hmm. sitting out, and he had surgery yeah. and discs fused and all that. Anyway, so we were pretty irate about that, uh, and I think he may have got a two-minute penalty, if that, it might not have even been a call. So anyway, the game has been pretty feisty, and uh, you know there was all that kind of Ben Olsen and yeah. Didiomiti, yeah. you know, that had been going on, hadn't mm -hmm. it, on Twitter, you know, the Twitter wars and stuff, so there, there was a lot of edge between the two sides, um, and at the end of the game, I did something that... It was pretty classless, and I regretted and apologised mm. for after. But uh, the team came to shake... I, I was mm. bench coach. The team came to shake my hands. Chalmers comes to the bench. And as he shakes my hand, I bring him back, mm. and I just say to him, you're not finishing the game tomorrow night. Because of that hit on yeah. the beer briar. And he kind of skates away, kind of muttering and mm. stuff like that. So, so that, was, that was the one night. So we go back in. So temper's obviously still, mm -hmm. you know... Um, fueled up from the night before. It's a very physical game in Cardiff. If you remember, Max Egno was kind of pushing his weight mm. around and Max, I think, cross-checks him yeah. off a face-off and yeah. gets thrown out. Because Egno's coming for him and he's kind of in defence mode. He cross-checks him pretty high. He gets thrown out. There's loads of other incidents in the game. Anyway, the game finishes and uh, Jerome Judas, yes. uh, who had been like a major instigator in the Twitter war with Didiomiti, um, 
well, they actually knew each other. It started off as a joke, but it kind of right. escalated. Uh, he starts chirping at G. Mm-hmm. So G gives him a little slap, I think, which is, again, unlike G, you know, he was normally after the game was finished, that was it. But, you know, that's how tempers are flaring. And I see at the back of the lineup, Ben Olsen skates out of the handshake and he comes straight up to me on the bench mm. and he's like, don't you ever effing say that to one of my teammates again. So he's expecting me to go, I'm sorry, yeah. you know, and apologise. And I think I told him to go mm-hmm. himself. And he was kind of stunned. And, like, I think I went to grab a stick or something yeah. like that off the bench. And he goes to, he sees this, and he then goes back a couple of metres thinking, oh, well, we're in one here. Yeah. You know, I was vexed to the max, and he thought it was going to be an easy target coming to the guy in, in the suit on the bench. But I was like, game for it, as stupid <laughs> as that is. So he's taking, a st- he's taking a step back, and then from nowhere comes Deeds flying in, and they ended up having a, a fight that yeah. took them all, I think, all four quarters of the ice, didn't it? You know? <laughs> and it was like, anyway, they're getting dragged apart. Uh, and then um, Sam Smith comes past the bench. So Sam had been in Cardiff okay. yeah. the year before, and we had had an argument in Cardiff about, you know, I wasn't happy with something Sam did in the game, and and stuff like that and he came back and he said something to me and I'm really good friends with Sam now yeah. we've you know, made up our differences and you know, got on great but he said something to me so I grabbed him from the bench uh, I remember Bolesky was there shaking his head he's come fresh up the edge of <laughs> thinking what is going on here this is a zoo so I grabbed Sam Smith's shirt somebody else has grabbed me and then next thing you know everybody's grabbed everyone yeah. and there's this you know, bit of a fight going on and G comes across to me and he's mad at me at the stage. He's like, Freddie, get in that locker room, get in that locker room. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, enough, yeah. enough's been done here. So I walked back into the dressing room and there was stood Max Beerbrier in his sweat gear or half in his sweat gear and he starts walking the other way towards me. So I think he's like walking towards me, like as in to come and grab yeah. me in. And he goes straight past me. I look behind and there's Egner beelining it for the bench and it wasn't to get to me it was to get to Max because yeah. Max had cross-checked him in the head in the previous incident so all this has flared up and he's like literally about to hurdle the bench so me and Max run at Egner then <laughs> and stop him hurdling the bench and then get into a massive yeah. scrum on the bench so that was the second one and uh, yeah. yeah I mean and yeah. I think we ended up with 19 oh. match penalties out the back of that to Coventry zero which, front page the echoes the only time you know we don't make the front page that often yeah, yeah. it's not for good things but uh <laughs> Yeah, I remember, you know, and I still think, okay, you know, I got involved yeah. and you shouldn't really, as a bench coach, you should be the one keeping your discipline and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm still adamant that if Ben Olsen doesn't come out with a handshake and yeah. approach the bench, it never starts. Absolutely. And so for them to get nothing was, a, again, one of those incidents where uh, we didn't have the best best side of the deal there. Yeah. Yeah. I just learned that the question was, what did you say to Mike Hager? He said, you didn't say anything to him, you said it to every other coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> Um, okay, quick fire questions from Chris Watkins. Um, Apley at McWilliam24. Yeah, so the answer is Mike, Mike McWilliam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we've covered quite a lot of them during the episode as kind of a uh, matter of course, anyway. Um, one that sticks out biggest fraud. Oh, God, this is going to get me in trouble yeah, now. This is going to get you in trouble. This is what's going to get well, you in trouble. you're not going to give one to you. Okay, I'll stick my neck on the In recent years, I'm going to go with um, Nickerson. Nickerson, six foot four, huge, huge guy, 
He's got the you know the mohawk, the big ZZ Top goatee, mm-hmm. and looks the part. He, he talks the part. He's got the best bark of mm-hmm. any tough guy I've ever seen. But when you look at his records against the top heavyweights, it's extremely poor. And when it, whenever he did get into a fight, because a lot of the time he talked his way out of fights yeah. because he had that kind of you mm-hmm. know he went on the on the aggressive. But when he did get into that fight, I, I don't think he was very successful at all. And you know I remember the instance with Trevor Hendricks where mm-hmm. you know. He called Hendo on right at the start of the game. He wanted to set the tone in Cardiff for Belfast. Hendo steps up and Hendo gets a good few in there. And he kind of goes to the takedown mm-hmm. and Nickerson buckles his knee. Yeah. I mean, he's a big guy. He buckled his knee. It happens. It was, you know, there's no way in that split second of that fight that Hendo is thinking, right, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. guy's knee. You know, it was just one of those things. And he talked and talked and talked and talked about it. And then he eventually comes back from injury and he calls Hendo on again and Hendo junior yeah. obliges and beats him again. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was uh, up in, um, wasn't, Fife he went to first, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. The first year, I remember, he had got in, he was extremely mm-hmm. out of shape and in the first three minutes of the game he was huffing and puffing mm-hmm. and he's like throwing haymakers down on the face after, I think it was Lordo actually. Yeah, it was Lordo. Who was totally defenceless at yeah. the time. Uh, you know, at, at later, I think it, was, it wasn't later in the game, it was another game following that. He's chasing around Doug Clarkson. He mm. probably knows that Doug Clarkson is this nice guy that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that may not oblige him. But Clarkson, to be fair, turns around, drops the gloves, and you know he he convincingly beats him. Yeah. Um. So I think for a guy that is probably held in quite high esteem in terms of tough guys, uh, that look the part, talk the part, he to me is the the biggest disappointment. You're gonna name someone from the Devils. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, two, two other honourable mentions I can think of Jeff Smith that played in Brayhead yeah. oh wow yeah very big guy yeah. you know, supposedly a tough guy I remember him trying to start a fight I can't even remember who it was it was one of our younger guys mm. was taking the face off against him so he stepped in he's never taken a face off in his life uh, he steps in to take the face off and to cross check it might have been CJ that's who yeah. it was CJ uh, so he cross checks CJ and he's trying to get things going that, that was in the the time when they had Chris Frank, uh, yeah. they had Fitzgerald, yeah. and they had Jeff Smith kind of yeah. riding off their coattails. And he stepped in and cross-checked CJ, up steps Josh Batch, who drops him mm-hmm. with about three punches. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, um, and then my final one was going back to, I think it was early Elite League or maybe Super League, Jeff Owasco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Six foot eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so soft. And there's nothing better to play against than a soft big guy. Yeah. Because you can you can you know you can take a run up at them, you know you can get away with liberties, and this guy's not gonna react. And I thought, you know, at that size, all you gotta do is just hold somebody, just at least get involved. And I don't I don't think he played to a size at all. Well, uh, yeah, go the next one. Go for it. Unless no. you've got Cheers, JD. No, trust me. Who in the league? I, I, I don't know. From I'm gonna be, I, I'm gonna do the devil's angle then, as I'm a fan. I guess I can do that, and and, <laughs> and maybe just uh, I don't know. From that that horrible season, and I'm not saying he wasn't tough, but the reputation he came in with, and then just the the whole pantomime, probably like an Andrew Conboy or or something oh, like that. Yeah. Todd Gillingham was the other one. That, Todd Gillingham. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't really uh, involved in that yeah, season. Yeah, John Brill was in. Todd Gillingham came in to replace McWilliam. I, I, the intentions were good, but yeah, he was he was pretty awful. Saying that, he could beat me up very easily. <laughs> Surprise package? 
Um, I know who my surprise package go is. Go on. No, no, because I've got 90 times to think. You've, okay, you've, right. you've got notes. Uh, my surprise package, Andrew Hoffman. Yeah. So we were looking for an offensive defenseman, out and out offensive defenseman, um, in the first year of the Steve King ownership, mm-hmm. uh, Todd Kalman and Andrew Lord as coach. And, you know, we had some names on the list and, and uh, then we had a lead on Andrew Hotham mm-hmm. from someone that had played with him and said, this guy, he was actually talking to one of the other sides over here about a university deal. Mm-hmm. So we got in contact with him and uh, we said, you know, we can offer mm-hmm. you know, one year university deal as well. Uh, he's like, how many school packages have you got? And you know, we're like, yeah, well, mm. whatever it was, three at the time. And the team that was offering him only had one, and he wasn't keen to go into school on his own. Mm. You know, he wanted some, you know, some buddies with him. Um, so we looked at his numbers, and the they were great. They all stacked up. He played in the DL for a little bit, mm-hmm. which you know, again, is a good marker. Um, one of our real, really sort of um, trusted references said on him when you see him you might be put off because he's a weird skater mm-hmm. and he doesn't look like he's doing anything but he's just magical when he's got the puck and yeah. what a reference that is, you know? Yeah. And we're like, okay, our league is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. We play in this tiny, you know, pad, even smaller than North American sized pads. Is he robust enough to, to withstand it? And the guy was like, oh yeah, he's sneaky tough. Yeah. He's sneaky tough. When he goes, you know about it. And... I think we saw that a lot, and I think he surprised a lot of people, didn't he? That they they you know seeing the top scoring D men in the league, you know they thought they're going to get under his skin by being physical, and you know, I think he led our league, our, sorry, our team in fights yeah. uh, too often, really, because we we were desperate for him to stay on the ice because he could log thirty five forty minutes a game and get you know three points or whatever. But uh, if there was a fight to be had, he was taking it. Um, so, I, uh, honourable mention for a guy who's currently on the team, I don't think Bryce Reddick could uh, play as big as he, he, he can, but he, he, he does. Um, I think for my overall surprise package, I'd go for a guy that Franny's already mentioned, probably Frank Evans. Um, didn't look as if he had the stature to be an out-and-out fighter, but some of the tilts with Frank Kovac, I think a, a couple of fights I remember with Tommy Plummer, um, and, and just ability to... I remember Kovac, I think, knocked a couple of his teeth out, and uh, I, I remember uh, it, was, it was at the Zamboni end of the Wales National Ice Rink, and after the fight, Frank just picked him up and went back to the bench, and he was happy as Larry, he didn't, didn't bother him at all. So I think for a guy who really surprised me, he was a real tough team guy, Frank Evans. Here we go. What I'm going to do, gentlemen, is I think we're going to come back to a couple of these at the beginning of the next episode. Mm. We've gone extremely long. Okay. <laughs> and we've got a lot more. Um, to kind of cover so we'll do a kind of quick fire Twitter questions at the beginning of the next episode I think that's cool with you oh, sorry it's a surprise package I should have said Franny as well when he fought Ed Courtney I was impressed and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what you might not know about that Ed Courtney fight was in the very first second of it I dislocated my shoulder wow Wow. so I I, I had the one operated on when I was 19 um, quite loose jointed anyway and earlier that season I knocked the, my left shoulder out of its socket a few times. In fact, I think I did it in the summer. I did it in the summer uh, in the gym and then kind of, you know, didn't want to miss a season and, and then in training a couple of times and games a couple of times it happened. And anyway, um, there is a story behind that. The night we were playing again back to back games, yeah. so back to back games are always bad for, mm-hmm. you know, for sparking up instance or good, depending on yeah. which way you're looking at it. Um, we were 
you know, in that era where we're punching above our weight mm-hmm. and, you know, trying everything we can. Um, Ed Courtney was the player coach in Belfast. And when I, when I was doing that kind of wind-up rack role or whatever, trying to do whatever I can for the team, the best people you can ever target are player coaches. Yeah. Because it's, it's two for one. Because not only you go, they're always good players because, you know, they've got that dual role. So mm-hmm. they have to be a good player because otherwise you just have them as a coach. Um, but they're also the coach, and if you get under their skin, they've lost their focus. If they can take a penalty, they're not there to direct their team. So I targeted Ed Courtney, and I was finishing every hit on him, no matter how late it was, how early it was. Uh, it didn't matter. I was finishing those hits, so I could see him get rattled. And then um, at the time, Belfast had on their team Paul Moran, yeah. son of Gar- Gary Moran in uh, GM of Nottingham, and on one of the face-offs in the game, uh, Mopes comes up to me, and I knew him really well, and he's like, Franny, uh, Ed sent me out to, to fight you. I was like, okay, look, I said, you got to do, you know, yeah. don't worry about it, you got to do what you got to do, so, you know, so we're going, yeah? And he's like, oh, no. He goes, no, I, I can't be bothered, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I don't think he thought that too much of Courtney anyway. But he's like, and I was like, look, if you got to do it, like, yeah. no hard feelings, you know, we, we can go and, yeah. you know, we, you know we'll, we'll be fine. Um, he's like, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. So anyway, so that didn't happen that night. So knowing how I got under Courtney's skin, especially if you send in someone out to fight me, yeah. um, I carried on doing it in Cardiff. And we went two or three goals down. Um, so I remember making a few hits and he was getting mad. And then behind the play, I think I sticked him in the back of the legs and <laughs> he was turning around and I could see he was just exploding. And then the gloves come off. And I was like, yes, we're in one here. <laughs> you know, job done. And I remember grabbing him. And of course, I'm a lot shorter than him. And I had to reach up high. And as I reached up high with my left, yeah. my shoulder joint just oh. fell out oh. underneath and it's basically sitting in my armpit there. <laughs> so I'm hanging on with this, like there's no power in it whatsoever. And I'm, I'm trying to get close. I, I'm already given up sort of, what, yeah. seven inches, yeah. I think, on yeah. Courtney. And I was trying sort of jersey jabs with like you know, a, a dislocated <laughs> shoulder and all like that. And I mean, I think we ended up getting into a spin cycle and he just yeah. hammers down like, on a couple on me. But... Um, you know, I, I, there's no way I was letting on that I was hurt. I wasn't going to the dressing room, so I went in and sat the penalty and, you know, carried on chirping him in there because I knew I was under his skin and, you know, telling him all sorts of things about what his teammates thought of him and <laughs> all kind of that. And we ended up, I think, scoring, yeah. we scored two goals on that, in that five-minute spell where he was out of the, the game, we scored two goals, which was, you know, yeah. kind of achieved, yeah. achieved my objective, you know, cost me a shoulder operation later on, but, uh, and to make it worse, we lost, ended up losing the game. Yeah, we did. That's a pretty good point to finish on, Ken. I think that's toughness. I think that's bonafide uh, toughness there. That is putting your body on the line. Or stupidity. Putting your body on the line for essentially nothing in the end. (laughs) (laughs) But what a story to end on, indeed. Keep connecting with us on Twitter. We're at BTB Franny, behind the bench, of course. Um, uh, Our podcast will be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, um, pretty much all good podcasts. Um, providers and one bad one. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and the podcast does feature John Donovan as well. Let's make that point. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you of course. Not only precious by not being involved with things. But, <laughs> <laughs> but gentlemen, uh, John, thank you very much thank you once guys. again for thank your uh, insight and quite frankly, scary memory. Yeah, for, for helping us actually <laughs> because I've forgotten it's 90% of what you said. I could do research for weeks and weeks, but there's at least 10 things that you remember that don't seem to appear on the internet. So. I wasn't a popular kid. The devils were my friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
And of course, Neil Francis, thank you very much for all your stories and your uh, honesty. And uh, I can only hope that Matt Nickerson stays in Finland for, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. <laughs> he knows I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll talk about it for now. I've been Gareth Hewish. I'm Harvard John Donovan and Neil Francis. Thank you very much for listening. Good night.